Hey guys, it's Jesse. And I'm really excited because today we're gonna do something brand new. Once a month, for the next five months, we're gonna be releasing a short. A short story from our archives. They're little things that never quite made sense in any of our regular episodes, but we thought they were kind of too good just to leave on the cutting room floor. It's a little something to tide you over until season three, which we promise is going to be coming soon. So buckle up, because here is the very first of the Love That Neighborhood shorts. Hope you enjoy them. Welcome to the show. I'm Jesse Eubanks. Today's story comes from me, for myself. I want to share the story with you about the time that I worked at a homeless shelter. So on March 10th, 2008, an employee walked out of the Louisville Federal Courthouse to take a smoke break. And unfortunately, they would never get to finish that cigarette. And that's because as they're standing outside, they notice an accordion-style briefcase near the entrance. It's just sitting there, unattended. And suspicious packages or boxes, or in this case, a briefcase, found near government buildings usually means one thing, one rather explosive thing. So the employee puts out their cigarette and following procedure notifies security. And security notifies the U.S. Marshals. And the Marshals, along with Louisville Metro Police and the FBI, arrive on the scene. Here's part of an article from the Louisville Courier-Journal. Quote, Police used yellow tape to cordon off the building, urging pedestrians to stay at least a block away. Broadway was blocked to traffic between 6th and 8th Streets. There was some disruption to the afternoon rush hour. And, listen to this, this is actually my favorite part. Several people also remained inside the American Nail Salon, just across 7th Street from the entrance. Employees also remained inside White Castle on the southwest corner. End quote. Like, why did the reporter feel the need to put that in there? Like, just so you know, there's a serious bomb scare going on right now, but don't worry, people are still getting their nails done and eating sliders. Anyway, once everything is blocked off, they hand things over to the bomb squad. Now, you've probably seen someone try to defuse a bomb on TV or a movie, right? How do they always do it? With tiny wire cutters, a profusely sweaty face, and they can't ever remember if they're supposed to cut the green wire or the blue wire. Well, that's not actually how bomb disposal works. The bomb squad actually uses robots to investigate suspected bombs. They don't even have to go near the thing. So the article from the Courier-Journal continues, quote, The Louisville Metro Police bomb squad brought its remote-controlled robot. The robot, which has the name Bud emblazoned on the side, rolled across Broadway and climbed the courthouse steps to take photographs and x-ray images of the briefcase, end quote. I mean, the thing totally looks like something out of the movie Wally. It's got this robotic arm on the front of it with a camera eye on the end. So Bud gets the pictures and then rolls back across the street where the bomb squad is waiting to analyze the data. They all huddle around Bud for a few minutes, and then Bud goes rolling back to the courthouse and back up the steps. Bud stops in front of the briefcase. He starts making these robotic sounds. All eyes are on Bud to see. What is he going to do with the briefcase? And then... 
Bud detonates the briefcase like it's obliterated. And now, raining down from the sky like shrapnel, are the contents of the briefcase. Hundreds and hundreds of pieces of paper. Once the papers settle, the FBI moves in to collect them. And on these papers, there's one name that appears over and over again. So the next day, I'm at work. And suddenly, there's a forceful knock on the door. I open the door, and two men come in. They both have on bulletproof vests. One of the guys has a very military look to him, shaved head. He's wearing a chain with a badge on it. The other has the letters FBI written across his vest. And these two FBI agents look me right in the eye and tell me, they're here about the briefcase. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Rachel, producer of the Love the Neighborhood podcast. So recently we asked some of our alumni to share about their experience serving with Love Thy Neighborhood, and we wanted to share some of those with you. This is Asha Juno. She is now a production manager in Orlando, Florida, and here's what she had to say. Honestly, I don't know that anything has had a greater impact on my life than Love Thy Neighborhood. I think so much about the way I live my life is a reflection of what I learned during my time in Louisville. Do you want to see how Love Thy Neighborhood could impact you? Learn more and apply at lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, it's Jesse. Welcome back. Okay, back to the briefcase story. So I'm at work and these two FBI agents show up and they start telling me what happened outside the courthouse with the briefcase and Bud, the robot, and the flying papers. And then they say who they're here for, a man named Donnie Craig. Now, Donnie Craig was a resident at the homeless shelter where I worked. Now, I've been working there for five years at this point, so Donnie and I, we knew each other pretty well. But rather than have me tell you about Donnie, I had one of our Love Thy Neighborhood team members, Daryl Johnson, tell me what he remembers about Donnie. Donnie carried a briefcase with him, and there were legal documents in this. And sometimes his papers would be sticking out. I mean, the briefcase was just full, full of papers. And just like the rest of us, Daryl was curious about this briefcase and all these papers. What did Donnie carry it around for? And then one day, he found out. One time, I saw him just writing fervorously. He was just writing, writing, writing. And I asked him, I said, what do you got there? He goes, I'm writing to the president of Russia. And I said, what do you want to talk to the president of Russia about? And he said something along the lines of, we need to talk about gas prices. And I just said, all right, man, um, I hope that goes well for you. You see, Donnie had severe schizophrenia. He would constantly be talking to people that did not exist. He was constantly in his own fabricated world, one in which he was often an astute businessman, taking care of matters that were extremely important for our country. Here's Daryl again. And I just remember going downstairs and I heard this fast-paced talking and I, I was wondering if somebody was hurt or if somebody was in trouble. So I rushed down and I found Donnie talking on the phone and I really couldn't make out every word he was saying, but the look on his face said he meant business. And I didn't even bother asking him if he needed my help because the guy was taking care of business. And then all of a sudden I hear slam. And I said, you all right? And he said, I just got off the phone with Obama. We are okay. And I said, well, all right. And then he was singing Michael Jackson. Like, literally, he was moonwalking. 
So here's the thing. Even though Donnie suffered from severe mental illness, he was also just a really kind man. He was never really argumentative. He loved to talk to people, imaginary people, but real people too. He just loved people. If you've met Donnie, you would think Donnie's a suspicious character, but really he's not a suspicious character. He's just, uh, he's Donnie. That's the best way I could put it. He's really nice. He, he has a great memory. He's super sweet to people that, um, you know, he comes in contact with. But despite being super sweet and despite having a mental illness, when you've got the FBI looking for you because you left a briefcase at the federal courthouse building, that's serious. So these two FBI agents tell me they're looking for Donnie Craig, and I told them, just a minute. I turn around, and Donnie happens to be right there in the hallway. He's looking at a mirror on the wall, and he's sternly pointing his finger, having a serious conversation with his reflection. And I hear him say to himself, you can't be the real messiah if you've never had a fried bologna sandwich. I look back at the two FBI agents and tell them, that's Donnie. They kind of cock their heads to the side and watch for a moment as Donnie continues his conversation with the mirror. Suddenly, Donnie breaks out in falsetto, singing Led Zeppelin's immigrant song. The FBI agents look back at me and say, thank you for your time. And then they walk out the door. The news article from the Courier-Journal about the briefcase ended with a quote from the Metro Police spokeswoman. She said, maybe someone left it there unintentionally. You see, Donnie was not a stranger at the courthouse. He went there almost every day. He thought that's where he conducted all his business, and he would often return from there with gifts. Gifts given to him by the judges who worked there. Turns out all the judges knew Donnie on a first-name basis, and they all loved him. And it just so happened that on this particular day, Donnie was outside waiting for the bus. He got sidetracked, and when the bus came, he was flustered and worried he would miss it, so he ran, forgetting to grab his briefcase. And this sort of behavior, distracted, not really aware of what's going on, this was really all we expected from Donnie. He was just a sweet man in a world all his own, and he had no concept of reality. He couldn't really contribute much to our community. And honestly, for myself and all the other staff at the mission, that's how we saw Donnie. The relationship went one way. We were there to help him. And we all loved Donnie dearly. But we completely discounted the idea of him ever being more than a man who had conversations with imaginary people. Until one day, when Donnie astounded us all. So the reality of working at a homeless shelter is that you face some pretty tragic situations. And shortly after the whole briefcase incident, we had one of our residents pass away. He had an unexpected heart attack. And we gathered all the residents together in the lunchroom to give them the news of what had happened. And it was one of the hardest things that I've done. This resident we had all done life with was suddenly gone. It was sad. And I knew that this was the perfect moment to share the gospel with these men, to tell them that this tragic moment shows exactly why we need Jesus. But for some reason, I just couldn't. I couldn't find the right words. The man who died had been a good friend to many of the folks in the room, so I didn't want to make it sound like I was being insensitive or dismissive of this man's death. I was trying to give encouragement and hope while also trying to use my words carefully. And I was failing miserably. Some of the other staff realized what I was trying to say, so they chimed in. But again, the situation was so complex that they couldn't navigate it any better than me. And then, Donnie Craig stands up. He looks around the room, and he says the very thing that we've all been trying to say 
but somehow just couldn't. He says, Listen, the reason Jesus came and died for us is because eventually all of us are going to die. And we need to trust him and put our faith in him because this day will happen to all of us eventually. But if you put your trust in Jesus, you don't have to be scared of these kind of days because God is going to take care of you. This is why we all need Jesus. Then Donnie turned around and sat down. And within minutes, he was talking to himself again. It's easy when we meet someone like Donnie to assume they don't have anything to offer. That is what I had assumed. But in this moment, I was the one who came up short. And Donnie was the one who helped all of us. This moment made me realize all of us have something to offer. And that God often speaks not from platforms or celebrities. It seems God still has a preference for speaking from the most surprising and unexpected sources. Thank you to our interviewee for this episode, Daryl Johnson. If you, like Daryl, want to share the love of God with the homeless community, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer social justice internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. You can choose from homelessness or one of our 19 other tracks. Learn more and apply at lovethyneighborhood.org. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere and Boddington Bear. Theme music and commercial music by Murphy DX. Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise.